Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family. Uh, this morning, I am pleased to have Kevin Schuler as our special guest as we continue our long walk with Jesus over the summer months. Now, I suspect that Kevin is a new face to some of you, so let me just quickly introduce him. Uh, as most of you know, Ebenezer is part of a larger group of churches across Canada called the Baptist General Conference of Canada. And Kevin is our exec- executive director, or as I like to call him, the most high reverend one, or in a more informal setting, just the big kahuna. Um, now he's, he's served in this role for the last five years and has done a fantastic job. And he has just committed for another five years, so I'm, I'm really excited and thankful for that. Now, prior to joining the BGC, Kevin pastored for 35 years in four churches, uh, one with the BGC, and the others were with a couple of other like-minded denominations. Kevin and his wife, Laura, have been married for 39 years, and together they have three children and six grandchildren, who are all followers of Christ and active in their local churches. In fact, I believe uh, that your son is also a pastor in Winnipeg. I hope I have that that right. That's good. Uh, So Kevin uh, is an easy guy to get to know, and he's even an easier guy to like. And I have grown to appreciate him and his ministry as our executive director. So Kevin, thank you for taking the time to join us today, and welcome to Ebenezer. Well, I'm delighted to be invited to uh, be on, on this interview series that you're doing, Leighton. Thank you for including me. Yeah, that's good. Listen, before we dig into this morning's message, why don't you just take a moment to share a bit more about yourself so that we can get to know you better and, and really see your heart and passion for people and for ministry. Well, thank you. I am born in Alberta and was raised here most of my life. I went to... Bible school in the United States, and that's where I met my wife. We've been married, as Leighton mentioned, uh, 39 years ago. And we've been involved in church planning and mission work. I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel all around the world. And I love the Great Commission. I love being part of that uh, that God's called us to serve in. And uh, I'm thankful to be serving in, in this role as executive director now for these last four and a half years. That's good. So why don't you tell us a bit more about the Baptist General Conference of Canada, because not all our viewers are familiar, familiar with our denomination. And maybe as you do, uh, just quickly share some of the den- denominational distinctives, uh, what they are, and why you've chosen to lead this organization. Well, Ebenezer has been part of the BGC since the 1950s, and you've been one of our stalwart churches for many years. We're thankful for you. And so the Baptist General Conference is a group of churches that stretch from coast to coast, from Vancouver Island all the way to Halifax. And our distinctives are that we are Baptistic. We have a a pietistic roots, uh, which means that we believe in a heartfelt religion. When the immigrants came over to the western of Canada, they forsook the state religion of their country and wanted to have a religion that was, as they said, a biblical mind and a burning heart for God. And so that's what the VGC ethos has been down through the decades. 
is to be a people that love God with their, their heart, soul, and mind, and then want to serve him through the uh, local church and around the world globally. So uh, our distinctives are pretty similar to most evangelical denominations. We have uh, a great uh, heritage, and we're thankful that uh, we can be impacting our country in this moment. Okay, so uh, just before we get into the passage, I know that in your role as executive director, you travel across the country visiting our family of churches, but also interacting with other national denominational leaders. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I'm just curious, I, from your perspective in broad strokes, how would you describe the state of the church right now? Yeah, in Canada, the church is in decline organizationally. Mm. Uh, the attendance is plummeting. Uh, the mainline denominations are really struggling. Evangelical church like ours, uh, like your church and like our denomination are doing better, but not, mar uh, not significantly better. Yeah. We're on this slow down escalator in Canada right now, church-wise. But there's lots of pockets where God is really alive and working in our country. And uh, we're excited to see that and, and, and look at that as being a hope for the future. Okay, so just to follow up to that, uh, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges the church is facing right now, even pre-COVID? And then what are some of the opportunities that are before us? Uh, and then maybe what adjustments do we need to think about as churches uh, to be able to make a significant impact in our communities moving forward? Sure, so pre-COVID, we all recognize that we're in a time in the Canadian church history. It's a serious time. It's not a frightening time or scary time. We're not worried about being arrested or losing our property, that kind of thing, like Christians are in other parts of the world. But we see that our government is moving in a different direction with different values than, than uh, Christianity. We saw that a few years ago with a summer student grant program where if you wanted to receive uh, government support for hiring a summer student, you had to check off the box on the application that you supported the current government's view of abortion. And, and then we see this continuing down the religious freedom being uh, curtailed in different parts of the country. Nothing mm -hmm. serious yet. You know, they're not locking churches and keeping pastors from preaching, but slowly there's things that are happening. So uh, the, assisted suicide law when it came into effect they said christian doctors and nurses won't have to participate if their conscience pro uh, pro uh, prohibits them from serving that way but right away after the law was uh, passed it was challenged in the court and the court said no if uh, somebody's been uh, your patient for 30 years and they want you to be there at assisted suicide then you, their patient rights trumps your doctor's conscience mm. or your nurse's conscience to be there. And so right away we see, again, this shrinkage. The most recent thing that happened this year in 2020 is many municipalities across the country and now Ottawa's enacting a law federally about conversion therapy ban. And this, of course, is a, a bad practice, conversion therapy, to try to change somebody uh, forcibly to change their sexual orientation. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone's for that. But now the law goes much further than that and says, well, you can't even pray with someone. If someone has questions and wants to ask about it, am I living the right way? 
uh, you can no longer uh, with confidence speak into that person's life because if they then turn around and say, oh, this uh, pastor or this person tried to convert me from my lifestyle, it opens yourself up now to all kinds of uh, legal issues. So this is just coming into effect in different parts of the country. I'm not sure if Saskatoon has enacted those laws in their municipality, but uh, many yep. places here in Alberta have, and Ottawa is doing something similar uh, federally for changing children's sexual orientation. Wow. Yeah. So I think you, I heard you say before at another conference that it, you kind of feel it's like a canary in a mine shaft there. The government's mm -hmm. testing to see what they can get away with. And so this is a chance for the people of God to, in a, in a positive way and uh, in a kind, loving way to, to, to speak and influence those that govern over, over us. Yeah, so this is, a, this is a key time for the church. Yeah, and uh, the way we've been looking at it here is that even though COVID's been an inconvenience for us, uh, there's also opportunities that, that have come as a result of it. So we're excited moving forward and appreciate being part of the conference and having you as our leader. So well, now, Layton, listen. We're so glad that you are going to be on our national board. You're just voted in in June, and I'm looking forward to your wisdom uh, around the board table as you help guide our conference in these next, uh, next days ahead. And we're so thankful for Ebenezer, the great staff you have there. And People like Chet and Tracy who have been so involved with our 2020 program over the years and uh, just the way that you're a leading church for our conference in Saskatchewan and around the uh, country we're so thankful for Ebenezer Baptist. Oh, thanks Kevin Pre appreciate that and I'm looking forward to giving my wisdom to the board because at my home no one wants to hear it so, <laughs> so that, that's a good thing. Uh, finally someone someone knows what I have to offer. Okay, listen, the passage of scripture that you and I are going to focus on this morning is found in Matthew chapter 9, yeah. verses 35 to 38. And it's a short passage, so I'm just going to read it out loud right now, and then mm -hmm. you and I can help our church family view it in its proper context. Sure. Okay, so Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, and I'm reading from the New International Version today. It says this, And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed or confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Or as another translation puts it, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, um, Kevin, this is a great passage for us to look at today. And it's especially a good passage for someone like you, who is the head of a ministry organization like ours, whose uh, stated mission is to build a network of churches that make disciples who live and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in their communities, uh, Canada, and the nations. These four verses uh, are the, the beginning of Jesus' second discourse. And just to give some context here, in his first discourse, which was a Sermon of the Mount, uh, recorded in chapters 5 through 7, it's, it's Jesus teaching about the kingdom and describing what uh, the kingdom would look like when it broke into the world and into people's lives and hearts and relationships. But uh, Jesus, thankfully, did not, did not just describe the kingdom of God, he demonstrated its power and authority 
through his life and actions. And so if we were to flip through the pages of Matthew in chapters 8 and 9, following the Sermon on the Mount, we would be uh, bombarded with story after story of Jesus displaying the power of God's rule in real and tangible ways. I like how, how Gary Thomas described what was happening in his book, uh, Seeking the Face of God. He says this, um, everywhere that Jesus went, hell broke apart at its feet. So now as we get to chapters 8 and 9, um, I should mention to the viewers that, that Matthew arranged these stories of God's kingdom breaking out on earth topically and not chronologically. And he had a reason for doing this, which I'm going to ask Kevin about later on. But let me just quickly list some of these events in Matthew uh, that he includes in these two chapters. Uh, Jesus, uh, first of all, he heals a man with leprosy. That's found in verses 1 through 4. And that's a story we actually looked at last week as a church family. And so I won't talk a lot more about it right now. Next, we see that he heals a Roman officer's slave virtually because of his faith. It's, it's kind of the first virtual ministry. We think we're doing it now uh, in COVID times, but Jesus was doing it way back then. And in fact, uh, what Jesus says about that time is he said of his Roman officer that I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, which was a declaration that, that non-Jews would be part of God's kingdom and that many Gentiles would come from all over the world and be part of this kingdom feast in heaven. Uh, next, we see that, that he, he cast out evil spirits from many with, with a simple command. And uh, I like the verse 17. It even describes this in the context of the Old Testament as a fulfillment of prophecy. It says, this fulfilled the word of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah, who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Next, we see in verse 23 that Jesus calms the storm, demonstrating his power over nature and creation. We see that he, he heals uh, to demon-possessed men in verse 28 of chapter 8. And that's a story we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks uh, as a church. And it demonstrates his power over the spiritual realm. Uh, we see that he, he heals a paralyzed man in chapter 9. And this healing in particular unmistakably revealed Jesus' power and, and his authority. And it demonstrated that he had God's power and authority to heal bodies, but also to forgive sins. And Back in that time, uh, because everyone knew that only God could forgive sins, this was Jesus' declaration that he was God. Mm -hmm. And then I think one more here, two more, we see that Jesus, Jesus heals a bleeding woman and restores a girl to, to life. Um, Jesus raises a synagogue leader's daughter from the dead in response to his faith. And on the way to do that, he heals uh, and restores a woman who had been on the margins of society and her community for 12 years because of a bleeding disorder. And both of these people in Jesus' day would have been spiritually unclean and were untouchable. And we talked last week about the power of Jesus' touch in, in, in our lives. And then the last one was Jesus heals a blind man and a mute man, which is a story I think that Pastor Joel and Ahmed, one of our missionaries, will be looking at in a few weeks. And so, Kevin, that, that's a lot, of, a lot of stories there. But I just want to know what goes through your mind when I recount and summarize all these Jesus stories back to back to back to back. Well, I think you mentioned it already. The authority of Christ comes through in all of these uh, stories. He has power over disease, over the wind and the waves. He has power even over death, as you mentioned here in chapter 9. And when we get to the end of Matthew, he's going to say after the resurrection, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. 
So these two chapters of eight and nine of Matthew, following the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, lay out for us the kingdom uh, power and authority that Christ has. And as you go through your series on Matthew, I'm sure you're going to unpack the fact that he then shares that uh, authority with his disciples and commissions them to go out and uh, do the same kind of ministry. So this uh, chapter eight and nine, as you've already said, Leighton, are just not a bunch of random stories strung together, but they're there for a purpose to show Christ's authority and power over each uh, thing that we as humans come against. Yeah, and so when he puts the stories together uh, topically, he's really doing that to show God's power over like every aspect or Jesus' power over every aspect of life. And the Bible tells us, uh, Kevin, that the crowds of people who are always present around Jesus, they were, they were absolutely amazed. Yeah. You know, it says that they had never uh, seen or heard anything like this. His teaching had power and authority like no other teacher. And his miracles demonstrated that, that this power and authority was actually from, from God. Okay, so if, if Jesus' first discourse was, uh, was to teach about the kingdom of heaven and demonstrate its power and authority, then Jesus' uh, second sermon or discourse was to tell the world about his mission on earth and invite people to join him in this mission. And this is what he says, and it's from the passage I read, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And this, this discourse um, takes place, it begins in, in verse 35 of chapter 9, where I began. But it actually goes all the way to the end of chapter 10, this whole sermon on God's mission. But uh, let's, let's start with what I, the passage I read earlier, uh, beginning in verse uh, 35. And so, Kevin, I just ask you a question. So what sticks out to you in this passage as you, as you read it and studied it? Well, this has been one of my favorite uh, motivational passages all through my, my life since I became a Christian. And I'm standing here in our BGC office in Edmonton and in front of a map of the world that we have where all of our BGC missionaries are, we've we've got their prayer cards up. And every time I walk through this space, I'm reminded that Christ's call is for the nations. He started in Israel, but his heart was for the nations. And his church is continuing to do that now. So Jesus saw people. This is what I love about this. He saw them in their condition. And I think we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But I love that Christ sees us where we are. He, he sees you this morning struggling with whatever it is. You're worried about COVID. You're worried about your health or your finances. Whatever the problem is, Jesus sees you. And I, I love that about the Lord. Yeah. A couple of things that, that stuck out to me, Kevin. One was just the just the, the nature of his ministry. It wasn't, it was never one dimensional. So it says back in, in verse 35 that he was teaching in the synagogues and he was proclaiming the good news and he was healing every disease and sickness. And then, and then uh, as we see this acted out, uh, we, we see that his heart was never just one, one dimensional. Uh, his heart was, was not just about doing or teaching. His heart was, was filled with compassion with others. And so one of the verses that stuck, stuck out to me was verse 36, when it said that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what, what struck me here is that rather than being critical of the people around him and judging them for their, their bad choices and decisions, which sometimes, you know, 
the people in, in church do or people feel that we do. Um, he sees the truth about their situation and it, and it just, it stirs something deep inside his heart. And, and I love that. And, yes. and in fact, the word, the word compassion means uh, stirring or stirred at its deepest level. And the Old Testament uses a word to describe the, the deep inner mercy of God. And in the Gospels, the only time we see this word used is actually to describe Jesus. And so it was not just an emotion that he was feeling. It, it, was, it was something that was moving so deeply in him that he did something about it. And so uh, when he saw a man with leprosy, like we talked about uh, last week at our church service, he, he felt his pain and rejection and his loneliness and isolation. And when he, when, he, when he sees a man whose daughter just died, he felt the sorrow of the bereavement of this man. And he saw the broken heart and his heart broke along, along with the father. And so he had compassion in the crowd because he understood who they were. Why don't you look at the next few words there? It talks about that they were confused and helpless. Yeah, confused and helpless. That's how Jesus saw these crowds of people in every village where he went and did his ministry. And of course, confused can mean uh, bewildered or troubled, hopeless, weary, worn down. It's a term that could be described someone who'd been robbed or beaten by uh, thieves someone who has been poked at mercilessly without pity by someone, being uh, treated like cruelly disrespected, even bullied. And then someone who is wearied by a journey, which just seems to have no end. You know how you're walking a trail you're not familiar with, you climb a little hill and you think it's the end, and oh no, there's still, and, and so someone that's weary and just confused by life. And these are vivid descriptions of a deeper, spiritual condition that's how jesus saw people but not only confused he saw people as helpless as well here it says in the text they were dejected they were scattered as sheep with no shepherd they were like just completely alone and laying prostrate like someone who's been wounded and is just laying down and ready to die and so these two words just help us uh being confused and helpless these two words stress uh, our utter helplessness without God. And Jesus, of course, understood this reality. That's why he came into this world to be our Savior. And so he, he saw the need of the crowd in front of him. Yeah, it says, uh, I like the last phrase, it says, like, like a sheep without a shepherd. And, and that was a phrase that, that um, they would have immediately been under, under, be able to understand um, by the disciples at least two levels. Uh, first, they would have related to the fact that, because uh, they knew something about sheep, uh, and the sheep were, were mm -hmm. of course, pri the primary livestock of the area. And yes. uh, apparently, uh, they're dumb animals. Um, they don't have a good sense of direction, unable to defend themselves. And, and apparently, without a shepherd, sheep will just wander aimlessly for days until they eventually die. I yeah. uh, didn't know that until I read that. But, a second is they were, would have also identified with, with a phrase because uh, it was a phrase that was found in the Old Testament. And the phrase, the sheep without a shepherd, uh, was often used to describe the nation of Israel when they were without a prophet or king to look after them, to lead them in the right way. And so when Jesus looked over the crowd, he saw their spiritual reality of their lives, that they were just a weary, as you said, and scattered people like sheep without a, without a shepherd. And he could see that, that his fellow men uh, were, and countrymen were wandering aimlessly. 
because they had no one to give them leadership at their time of need. And so those are some of the things that, that uh, were in the passage here with that. And one, one phrase I, I picked up as I was reading, um, you know, we need, to, we need to see with God's eyes. Like we need to see people rather than for their bad choices, but a sheep without a shepherd. And, and it's, you know, and understand the nature of the problems. And one person said, to the degree to which we see the brokenness of mankind, uh, controlled by the God of this, of this world, um, who are confused and weary and bewildered and helpless, that is the degree to which we'll have compassion on, on others. And so that leads us to verse 37. And that's kind of the verse I was looking forward to getting to, which is uh, when, when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Kevin, uh, what does Jesus mean when he says this? And, and what does it mean for us today in, in our context? Yeah, I mean, Leighton, this verse has burned in my heart ever since I first heard it. I think it was in Bible college when I first heard a sermon on this passage on a, in a missionary conference. And, you know, the appeal of the world uh, where there's so many who are lost and have no knowledge of Christ. They don't even know the name of Jesus let alone what Jesus did for them, how he wonderfully came to save them and rescue them. And so there's this great harvest. If people just have an opportunity to hear about Christ, they will respond to him because he's full of love and grace and mercy. And so uh, you know, what a thrill it is to be part of what God's doing around the world. Our BGC missionaries are serving so well. And then the other missionaries that I know and other local uh, national churches that are doing so well right now. And they're, they're reaching people, even in this time of COVID. I was talking with someone from India this morning and just how exciting it is how they reached 450 people in this lockdown time by just uh, showing God's love and mercy. So there is this uh, huge need that is out there. Uh, hearts of people will respond to the gospel, but... They need to hear about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus said. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but where are the workers? Who will go? Who will be part of this? And so this is the great challenge of the Christian church right now. And in Canada, for many decades, we were a sending nation. We were sending uh, pastors to serve nationally in Canada and then sending workers to be involved around the world. But in the last 10, 20, 30 years, we've seen a decline of people leaving to go cross-culturally. And the need for more workers is immense everywhere. So Christ needs people. And there's a great harvest out there looking for something, looking for someone who will bring it to them. And the problem is not that there's no shortage of prospects, but there's a lack of laborers that are going out to bring them in. You know, the, the Bible doesn't say that we go and pray them in. We have to go and labor. We have to win them to Christ. He who wins souls is wise, the Bible says. And when Jesus walked upon the earth, his voice only reached, you know, the few people in Palestine but he knew there was an entire world waiting to receive his message. And so that's why he left the church on earth. He gave us the great commission and we're to go and to share this good news. And he wants all people to hear the good news, but they will never hear it unless those who are prepared to cross the street in Saskatoon 
or go across the city to some other part of town or cross your nation or cross the ocean uh, to bring the good news. Uh, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 10, and that's a great missionary passage, a great call to service. How can they call on the one in whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's nice that you bring that passage in because our, our church has just gone through a two-year study through the book of Romans. So either they're going to love you for that or hate you for that, Kevin. But <laughs> that, listen, that is, that is a fantastic passage of Scripture. And yes, I remember so when, we, when we talked about that, I actually had some pictures of feet I put on the screen and just asked whose feet are the most beautiful. Mm. And uh, some of our ugly missionary feet uh, and pastor's feet won out on that one. So listen, let me uh, just ask the question a different way. So what kind of workers is Jesus looking for? Uh, so I think sometimes I, I automatically default to, um, you know, he's looking for people to go into full-time ministry, looking for pastors or missionaries. Like who, how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus looking for here? So we need to broaden our vision of ministry and all of us are on mission regardless if you're working in a, a, a business, an office, a classroom, education, whether you're in like in church ministry, you should see your, all of us should see yourself as on mission. So when the time comes, you can go back to work after the COVID restrictions are eased. You're on mission when you're working in that factory or when you're working in that office, you are on mission for the Lord. And there's people all around you who need to hear the message that you also have believed in and that has saved your soul and it has given you a hope of eternal life. There's someone in the next cubicle, in the next uh, factory mm -hmm. line, uh, wherever, there's someone who needs Christ. I remember a, a song when I was a younger Christian and uh, the song went something, I, I don't remember all the words, but one of the recurring lines in the song was, Someone is waiting to meet Jesus on the other side of your fear. And so if we can just speak up for Christ and tell what Jesus has done for us. And of course, Jesus, his plan was to continuously grow and develop his labor force, equip them with heart and eyes and power and authority of Jesus so that the kingdom of God could be made known. Well, Kevin, I'm glad you added that last line and talked about these things because um, I know that one of the barriers that I had to be a worker in the harvest field, if I was mm -hmm. to be honest, when I was younger, was this feeling of, of being totally inadequate to do the things that I thought God yeah. would want someone to do. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was an intimidation for me. I think uh, everyone feels that way. You know, I, I couldn't imagine bringing a sermon or leading someone to Christ when I first started on the road of saying to the Lord, okay, here's my life, uh, take me and use me whichever way you want. But it's the Lord who equips us. And if you're going to read here at the beginning of chapter 10 of Matthew, the very first thing that Jesus does is when he sends them out two by two into all the villages and towns to the harvest field to do the work, he gives them authority. He says to them uh, in, in he says, Jesus called the disciples to him and gave them authority 
cast out demons and heal every kind of disease. So we have the authority of Jesus Christ. We've, we've been sent into this world to be his witness. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to say, well, Lord, am I really? No, the, the church is sent. We're a, we're a people on mission. And we have his authority to carry out the mission that he's called us to. Yeah, so as we jump into 10, and we'll just look at it briefly here, but uh, uh, the whole discourse goes from 935 all the way to the end of chapter 10. And right at the beginning of, of chapter 10, Jesus lists the 12 men that he first asked to join him in his mission. And uh, what I like about this list is how strikingly average these guys were. Like, like they were just, they were just commoners. They, they were people yeah. with, with yeah. shady backgrounds. Yeah. They were, they were sinners, <laughs> zealots, self-seekers. You know, um, they were from all sorts of different backgrounds, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, you know, just uh, common people who were not very well educated. And, and yet when, the, when Jesus gave them authority, they accomplished the supernatural and they changed the world, which is why you and I are here today. So, so Kevin, what's your take on this passage as one who has answered the call to join God in his mission and as one who is recruiting, actively recruiting and training, and training others to be part of God's mission? So what's, what's your take on this? Well, I think just like they were watching Jesus in chapter 8 and 9 doing all of these uh, miraculous things, and then when he calls to them and says, the laborers are few, the harvest is plenteous, they could no longer just sit back as passive observers and watch this new kingdom being formed. Uh, they needed to join Jesus. And they felt that passion within, and they became active participants in taking the good news of his kingdom to people around them. And it revealed the power and the authority of Christ to the world. And so it's the same for us. When you really allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see people the way Jesus saw them, don't see them, you know, they're superficial, what they present outwardly, but see their need, as we've been talking about earlier, confused, helpless, scattered, the sheep without a shepherd. Then we also start to see them as ripe for harvest. And we'll see lost and hurting people are all around us everywhere. And then it'll prompt us to do what's necessary to get the message to them. We'll give, we'll pray, we'll serve, we'll be involved. And we'll begin to share our faith with urgency. You know, this isn't a decision like, well, I could have bought a Ford, but I bought a Chevy. This isn't that kind of a decision. This is an eternal destiny decision. Where are you going to spend eternity? And so there's an urgency to this. And those decisions need to be made on this side of the grave while we have life and opportunity. And so we will be praying that God will send out workers into his harvest field. And then we'll also respond like Isaiah the prophet and say, Lord, here am I, you can send me. And I think it's the goal of Jesus, the dream of Jesus, that every person will be a worker in the harvest field, not just the, a spectator, uh, but to be a worker in the harvest field. Yeah, and I think um, in the time that we are in right now, this is even more uh, necessary or obvious because I know that uh, you know our staff team here there's no way that we can reach out to every single person that attends our church or that's, that's a viewer online like we you know if it was just up to us the ministry is going to fail if and that was probably it was the case before too we need each other and so so for me uh, 
part of the wonderful calling in this passage is to recognize that every single person that's listening today who is a, a child of God, who is loved by God, who is you know, son or daughter of the king, has the opportunity to be part of his workforce and to be used to see people come to know him. Yes. And, and, I, and I, think, I think that's a challenge that um, we used to hear more often than, than we do now. Now we, it's almost like um, we like to make church safe for people so they come out rather than uncomfortable people so, or uncomfortable for people so they go out. And, and I think that this is a time for us to, to, you know, for us that are listening to say, like, God, what would you have me do? And how, how can I be part of your kingdom? And how can I uh, enter into your workforce? And so um, one of the, you're, you're sounding pretty passionate about this, Kevin. You should think about becoming a denominational leader some point in your career. Uh, but, well, I, but let so, me just say one more thing, Leighton, is that a lot of times we're hesitant to share our faith because we think, well, what happens if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? Or what happens if they stump me with something theological? You just tell them what Christ has done for you and how he, you were lost and he found you and he saved you. And, and that story will resonate deeply in people's hearts. Okay, uh, let's look at the last verse here and then we'll wrap up. So it says in verse 38, therefore... Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest field. And so, so let me, I just put uh, four things uh, at the end for us to consider. And as we think about how to respond to this, and one of the, the ways we can respond is just to pray. And, uh, and that's, that's God's uh, first and primary method for recruiting workers. Even beyond having people like you, you know, going around the country watching for people who are gifted, uh, we're supposed to pray. And uh, maybe this is true confessions here. Uh, like I, as, I, as I studied this and thought about it, I'm realizing that I, I'm praying for lots of things, but I'm not always praying for workers for the harvest field and, and praying that God would, would call our church family and the young people growing up, that they would, they would give themselves fully to the Lord and be used, and be used, and be used by him wherever they're, they're at. And so that, that's the first thing I think we, we can do. And if I could comment on that, Leighton. Yeah. This is the one prayer request that Jesus has in the Gospels, is that we would pray for workers. Hmm. We read about all his prayers, the things that he prayed in his prayers, but this is his one prayer request. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing then is, um, and this is kind of moving into chapter 10, which we didn't look at in a whole lot of detail, but I, I think we need to call and we need to invite people. And I know that God you know, calls us, but I, I think people like you and I who are in leadership positions who see what others have to offer, we need to stretch them and challenge them. And uh, the first thing, it strikes me, the first thing that Jesus did after he gave them authority is he sent them out on their own little, little mission trip to, to, uh, to practice the things that, that they had been told and to experience the power of God in their lives. Yeah, and and I, I look back to my life and honestly, uh, some of the, the most, um, Defining moments are my, in my life was when I was on mission trips and having to trust God in that, in that environment. Uh, what about you? Any comments on that? Well, that's good, Lee. I'm going to use that, uh, you know, to train workers, send them on a mission trip. Uh, you know, that's, that's good. Okay. Uh, the, the next part is, uh, so we pray, we, we call and invite. And then people like you and I, Kevin, and others who are leaders, we actually need to equip and train people. Yeah. And, and that's ongoing. 
uh, training. That's ongoing coaching. And that's also just in time uh, training. And, uh, and that's one of the things we need to do. I, kn I know that you have a heart for this because you have actually started some uh, training centers for the nations uh, in another country. Do you want to just quickly share about that? Yeah, this uh, country here of Iran, and right here is this little country right next to it called Armenia. And so God's doing amazing things in Iran. So many are coming to faith in Christ there. And it's a very repressive Muslim uh, government. So the, free, the, the Christians don't have freedom to be discipled. So what we've been doing in the BGC is we've been quietly, secretly bringing believers out of Iran into Armenia. And we have a connection there with a church, a network of churches that have a camp. And so we've been using that camp and bringing these believers quietly into this camp and training them and then equipping them and so they can go back home to Iran and be leaders in the house church. Yeah, I see you're having Ahmed come in a couple of weeks and he's been with me on these trips uh, and just a great servant of God. And we're excited about that opportunity to train more. We were gonna have another one in August, but COVID has closed yeah. it down for this year. Yeah, and even as a church here, uh, we've made a, a shift coming into the fall to for the staff to uh, spend more time investing in training people and equipping them rather than running programs. And so we've been trying to put this into practice. And then the last thing is just to, to celebrate and, and support because uh, people need encouragement. And whether you're the executive director of a, a denomination or pastor in a local church, or you're a high school kid who is just boldly living his faith on, on campus or in your sports teams, like we need that, that encouragement and support mm -hmm. because uh, we, we know that, that this work isn't easy and people like you and I, we have a, little, a few gray hairs and we know that it's, it's not all fun and games. There's, there's some challenging times. And even for us as a nation, you talked about this br briefly, but so does Jesus mention this. He says that, hey, I want you to know that um, there's gonna be persecution. You, you can expect it. There's gonna be some hard times. Yeah. But the reason we endure this persecution is because um, it's worth it. And, and like you said, we're dealing with and investing in all eternity. And I can't imagine a better investment than that. So any closing comments, Kevin, as we wrap up here? Well, thank you, Leighton. I think you've, you know, you pulled out the essence of this passage and it's wonderful to see that Ebenezer is living this out, not just talking about it, but the way you have, uh, planted different congregations with the Arabic and the Ukrainian and the Nepalese and, and all the other things that you've done uh, that Ebenezer has done for church planting in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan. You know, your church has got that uh, DNA of this uh, serving and reaching out. And we're so thankful that you're part of our conference and that you're one of the leaders in the conference. Yeah. And you know, even that DNA, it started when we just got together as a few people and started praying and praying that God would bring people into the harvest field and he, and he called us to do that. So let me just close by reading the scripture again, that Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Kevin, would you uh, honor us by praying for us as we close off here? Father, 
we're so thankful that you have called us to yourself and salvation through Christ. And then you call us, Lord, to serve the, the community and the nations by sharing this good news that we've received with friends and neighbors and co-workers and, and people around the world that we haven't even met. Lord, what a privilege it is to be uh, a part of the Great Commission. And help me and, and help Leighton and help everybody at Ebenezer Baptist in Saskatoon to step into this role with passion and courage and faith and determination that uh, they're going to be a, a person that's going to be a, one of the laborers that Jesus talked about here in this passage. And we pray that the harvest in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, Canada, and around the world, Lord, will come in and that uh, people will be saved and brought into the eternal life through Christ. So thank you for this time we've had together. Bless each person at Ebenezer Baptist. We thank you today in Christ's name. Amen. And thank you, Kevin. Uh, love you. Glad you're part of our team here. And, and when, you, when all, everything settles here, we'll make sure we have you here in person so we can get to know you. Uh, I would welcome that, Leighton. It would be great to, great to uh, see you and Brenda and the family again and everybody there. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.